Good morning. Good to see some of those faces that Nathaniel was talking about that almost got him into trouble. <laughs> anyway, I'm the same way, Than. <laughs> it's good to be able to talk to you this morning. I wanted to let you know I'm leaving for Mexico this Thursday morning about 2 a.m. I have to head to Indianapolis and go down there for a week of ministry. We've already got it lined out, what we're supposed to be doing, where we're supposed to be going, but there's always interruptions to that plan, but we, uh, uh, Pat, uh, some of you've met Pat, he was at my daughter's wedding last year, him and his wife Karen, and uh, I go with Pat, and we're bringing a, another Cajun along by the name of Chad, and those Cajun boys make life interesting, I will tell you that. I can't understand what they're talking about half the time, but I sure enjoy going on trips with them because they're, they're bold and they, they step out. Chad doesn't hardly know Spanish, but he thinks he does, so he just starts speaking, and it's a little different than me. I wish I could step out a little more, but I love being with those guys, and we always have a great time. God opens doors for us. Uh, Pat already told me about one church that's opened its door to us that we haven't been there. I haven't been there in a long time, and I'm looking forward to there's the same pastors there. His name's Pepe, and I'm looking forward to being with him. We're stopping at a place along the way. It's going to be a long day Thursday. I have to get up about 1.30 in the morning and head out because I leave at 6.15. We arrive in um, about 1 o'clock in the afternoon here when we arrive in Veracruz. We've got a three-hour drive south, and we're stopping along the way to eat and, and have a service with the church there. Who knows when we'll get out of there. So it's just going to be a long day. And, it, and, you know, you start out tired the first of the week, and you just keep getting tired. That's all it is. So please pray for me. I would appreciate all your prayers. And I'm telling you all this so that you might remember that I'm going to be in Mexico this week and ask for your prayers and, and support in that. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Uh, this morning, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at John 16, the studies out of John 16, uh, verse 16 through 33, through the end of the chapter. And um, I'd, like to, I'd like to pray before I start speaking because uh, I feel like there's things God wants to share with us out of this, this section of Scripture. So let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the privilege of sharing your word. I thank you for uh, the life that you've given us in Christ. I pray today, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will Give me understanding, even as I speak, Lord God. I've tried to, to rightly divide the word of truth, Lord God, and I pray that even today as I share it, Lord God, you'll help me, Lord. And I ask you to bless the hearer as they hear the word, and it will touch hearts. It'll go beyond uh, their mind, but it'll go into their heart and move them, Lord God, uh, for you and do the things you want to do in us, Lord God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Well, as I was studying this, it seems like the Lord took me back to John chapter 13 uh, a bit. I know 16 is where we're supposed to be, but I, I don't know if you recall, but the last time I shared the end of 12, chapter 12, if you have your Bible, this is what was shared at the end of chapter 12 was the last public discourse that's recorded in John. In other words, Jesus never spoke to any more 
Pharisees. He never spoke to any of the crowds. He never went out and talked to anybody. At the end of 12, that was the last time he spoke to any of the crowds, any public people. From 13 on through verse chapter 21, these last, what would that be, seven or eight chapters, the only people Jesus spoke to was his disciples. Okay? And I want to fix that in your thinking. You know, when I, when I study the Word sometimes, I like to get real into the Word, you know, the words, you know, I want the Word, you know. But then sometimes you can't, you'll get a, a, a wrong picture if you just study everything real close. You know, one little verse and study it real close, you'll get a wrong picture. So sometimes you have to step back and look at the whole thing to get an understanding of what's being said. And this is kind of what I had to do in this. And you say, well, what, what point is that, you know, that they didn't talk to anybody but the disciples? Well, it's very important. It's very important. Okay? Go back and read verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1. It says, now before the feast of the Passover. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Before the feast of the Passover. Okay, the Passover feast was coming. In fact, if you go back to John uh, mm, 12, at the beginning of 12, it says, now six days before the Passover. When did Jesus die? He died on the Passover, didn't he? So chapter 12 begins six days before Jesus died. Six days. So 13, the feast of Passover, was, it was on the heels of the uh, feast of the Passover. Jesus is getting ready to die, and guess what? His disciples don't even know what's going to take place. They don't. They don't know. You know, we're on this other. We're on the other side of the cross. We know Jesus died on Passover. We're going to celebrate Easter, and you know all that. But the disciples were in the dark. All they'd heard Jesus say is, "I'm going to go away and come back again." Well, they don't know what that means. That means maybe he's going to Chicago and coming back. We don't know what he's doing. He's going to go away and come back. Well, that's okay. That's fine. Yeah, go away and come back. But anyway, here's what, now John chapter 13, verse 1, this was written after everybody knew what had happened. You've got to understand, John wrote these words after he knew what had happened to Jesus. So listen to what he says. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should, I can't hardly, depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, and I'm going to add to the uttermost, because some you can put that in there. He loved them to the end and to the uttermost. This is John's take on everything that happened from chapter 13 all the way through the rest of John. It's almost like this is an introduction to almost a new book. You know, the public discourses of end. Now he's just going to show us how he loved his own to the uttermost. So you say, well, why, why do I need to know that? Well, I think it's important for us as we read from 13 on through the end, how did Jesus love them? How did John see this as Jesus loving them so, so much? Well, as I stood back and looked at this, Every, every chapter from there on was Jesus prepping and preparing his disciples so that 
they would not give up and forget everything, walk away when they saw his bloody body hanging on a cross, dead. Does that make any sense? I know he, oh, they all knew he could raise the dead, but you know what? When you're dead, you can't raise yourself. The Bible doesn't say Jesus raised himself from the dead. The Bible says God raised him from the dead. So I guess what I'm trying to emphasize here is that since they were in the dark about how he was going to depart and how he was going to come back, they didn't quite understand all this. He's talking to them. In fact, in today's teaching, it says he talked to them figured, figured. I can't say that word very easy. Somebody help me. Yeah, okay, that's it. <laughs> Figuratively. Yeah, thank you. You know, I, I took public speaking before, you know. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> so that's what they said. So they were all kind of, you know, this going away and coming back, it was all kind of like, well, yeah, that's fine. You know, you're, you're the Messiah. You can do anything. You know, you can do anything. But there was something in the culture at that time because Rome was in charge. They had seen so many people dying in the horrendous way that they died it would, it, in their, fixed in their mind, that's it. That's it. You know? I mean, yeah, stick a sword in Jesus and, and, you know, give him a mortal wound. He can heal himself, you know? But when you're hung out on a cross to die. So Jesus was, he didn't tell them just yet what was going on. He, he said it a few times, but it went over their heads if you read what was said in some of the other places in Scripture. It just didn't, didn't they couldn't calculate that. So what I, what I see in this is in these final chapters, Jesus is preparing them and saying things to them to get them to hold on. It's, when you think it's over, it's not over. Amen? Maybe you need that today. When you think it's over, with God and with Jesus, it's not over. It's not over. All right. Let's go to John 16 now. And I'm going to read the first eight verses or so. John 16, 16. It says, a little while. I've got to get this up within my eyesight here. A little while and you will no longer behold me, and again a little while you will see me. See what I'm saying? You know. Some of the disciples therefore said to one another, what is this thing he is telling us? A little while and you will not behold me, and again a little while you will see me. And what does he mean by, and because I go to the Father? And so they were saying, what is this that he says, a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this, that I said a little while, and you will not behold me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. <laughs> I like that. Now he gives them an illustration. Verse 21. 
Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more for joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one takes your joy away from you. And in that day you will ask me no question. Truly, I, truly, I say to you, if you ask, shall ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. Until now, you've not asked for nothing in my name. You have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Jesus is basically talking about resurrection here even though they don't know he's talking about resurrection, right? He's talking about dying and resurrecting. But they don't really know that that's what he's talking about. But you know what? Eventually, they will know. They will know when he's on that cross dead that he's gone away. And they need to remember these words so that they will not lose heart. He's trying to keep this group of disciples together for about three days until he resurrects. Does that make sense? And he's been doing this. He's been prepping them. You know, we read these, all these chapters and we think, oh, this is a long period of time. No, it's just within a few days. These, all these things from 13 on, just a few days, has been. these words have been taking place. He's been speaking to them about things that are important for them to stay put and not give up and to stay where they need to be. He spent a lot of time preparing them. Um, I got some scriptures. I won't read these, but I will introduce them to you because this is a Bible study or a teaching. Uh, he, alluded, he, he, he alluded to this type of thing often about his death and resurrection. John 13, 31 and verse 33 and verse 36. In John 14, 2 through 3. And also verses 28 through 29 in John 16, verse 5, before we get to where I was at today. These are scriptures where Jesus, Jesus was telling them, I'm going away, but I'll come back again. I'm going away, but I'll come back again. He's preparing them for this type of thing. Jesus constantly was trying to encourage the disciples that they'll, you know, he said, you're going to be sorrowful. You'll be, you'll be sorrow. There'll be a lot of weeping and a lot of sorrow. But it will turn to joy. <laughs> you know, yeah. sometimes I've, I've lived long enough to see sorrow turn to joy. Have anybody else lived long enough to see sorrow turn to joy? You know, for you young people, there'll be sorrow. There'll be sorrow. You can't have a resurrection unless you have a death, right? I could go through the whole Bible on men that love God and they saw a death and then they saw a resurrection. How about Moses? Remember him? That guy? He had the world by the tail until he was 40. And then for the next 40 years, he lived in death. And suddenly, 
God showed up in a burning bush, didn't he? <laughs> he told him, pack your bags. You know, He turned his sorrow into a joy that was unspeakable. He led all of his people out of a, a land of slavery and led them into a promised land. How about Abraham? There's a guy for you, right? I went back a little farther. You know, Abraham, you know, he had a, <laughs> he had a promise, right? How long did he hang on to that promise? Practically until he was almost dead. Then suddenly, he had a resurrection in Isaac, didn't he? I mean, you know, David, you know, he got anointed king. Did he become king right away? No. God had to drag him through a knothole backwards, didn't he? He drug him through, you know, had that old Saul chasing him, trying to kill him. You know, I'm sure he felt like times he was just dead meat. And next thing you know, there was a resurrection. He became the king. Now, I'm not saying God has to do that to every one of us, but he has to do that, he has to, do that to a lot of us, I think, to get our attention, to get us where he wants us. And these disciples were going to have to go through some sorrow. And, you know, it's interesting, Jesus illustrated this. I, I, I tread lightly here, okay? He illustrated this with a woman in travail having a child. Now, only about half of the room knows what that's like, I'm sure. But you can imagine. Now, I said this. I, I don't know why Jesus put this in here, all these men, and he's telling them about this. But here's why I think. They didn't go to hospitals to have babies in those days. They had them in the home, more than likely. And if you were a young lad or a, a anybody, you know, if you were around the neighbors or wherever you were at, I bet you heard, a, you know, if they had a lot of kids, you heard a lot of squalling and a lot of screaming, right? And you knew what it was like, at least in a sense of being around there, you know what it was like for that woman to go through childbirth. And then you knew what it was like for that sorrow and that travail to be turned to joy. If not in your own household, at least people around you. You knew what it was like for that mother after she had that baby, smiling, beaming like the sun, showing that child off, you know? So it was an illustration used quite a bit in Scripture because people understood that. It was a common illustration. Isaiah used it, Hosea used it, uh, Micah used it. They used it all over. The, the prophets used it a lot to tell people certain things, so they could think about that. And Jesus used it here to let his disciples know this is what's going to happen. You've seen that with a mother. Now listen, guys, believe me, you're going to weep, you're going to be sorrowful, but when it's all over with, you're going to be as happy as a newborn baby's mother. They needed to hear that. They have to remember this. <laughs> Jesus is saying, what's going to happen to me will come suddenly. I thought this was interesting, too. He said, whenever a woman's in travail, it, it, it's suddenly she goes into travail. Suddenly a woman has a birth. And I think Jesus is telling them this is going to happen suddenly. Didn't it happen suddenly? You know, they're all in the garden. He's praying. Next thing you know, he's gone. You know, Peter tried to follow him and. It's going to happen suddenly, and you, it will cause you to weep and lament, but hang on, hang on. It's not over. 
you'll have sorrow, but it will see you, I will see you again, and you will rejoice. I think that's so important. Now, verse 23 and 24 is about kind of like prayer, and it was placed in the center of all this, and I don't know, you know, it seems strange that Jesus would give a teaching on prayer here that didn't have anything to do with what else he was talking about, but I think what he was really saying to them, if you'll ask in my name about what's going on, what's happening, God will show you. God will reveal this to you. See, this was in the, this was in the scriptures. How many read Isaiah 53? The suffering servant. It was about Jesus. There were so many prophecies. But these men, you know, when they're sitting here listening to Jesus, they're not thinking about prophecy. Later on, they thought about the prophets and the prophecies. Later on, Matthew, his whole gospel was about Jewish prophecies and how they applied to Jesus. Luke, not so much, but he put some in there too. John put a few in there. But it was, they were, their main, mind wasn't on that. But if they would ask the Father in his name, God would show them what was going on. God would show them what was happening. Now, I'm not saying this is not about prayer. We always ask for things in Jesus' name. I believe that is important. In fact, there's two different words used here in, in ask in these two verses. One asking is a servant asking a master for something. The other asking, which is Jesus saying at his asking, his asking is asking someone who is on the same level as him. If, does that make sense? I know I told myself that wasn't important, but here I am talking about it. But anyway, there was two kinds of asking. A servant asking, that's the disciples asking. And when Jesus said he would ask the Father, it would be him on the same level. It kind of gives you an idea of who he was. Okay. Now, I want to read 25 through 30. If you'll follow along. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. And an hour is coming when I will speak no more to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. Verse 28. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you're speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus is speaking plainly to him now. He said in verse 27, I came forth from the Father. Literally here, he's saying, I came from the side of the Father. In the Hebrew, I came forth from the Father, but I came from the side of the Father. And that's speaking about his authority. 
He's saying that him and the Father have this authority. He's speaking about his authority there. Notice that in my Bible, it just uses the same words, but I had to get a little deeper in this to see how it was being said. And then after in verse 27, he says, I came forth from the Father. It says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Okay, this is saying, I came out of the Father. You remember the scripture in John chapter 1, verse um, 18. It says that he came, for, came from the bosom of the Father, came out of the bosom of the Father. It's sort of that same thought. When Jesus says here, I came forth from the Father, literally he came out of the Father. Now do you say, well, I don't understand that. Well, listen, this is about God, okay? And if you understand everything there is about God, see me afterwards, okay? Because I don't, I don't understand all of it either. But it's talking about his character. This is kind of the idea, I, the, I and the Father are one, you know, that thing that Jesus said. It's like this is his character. He has the authority. He has the character of the Father. And then down here a little later on, the disciples say, okay, i got to adjust my glasses. Oh, in verse 30, it says, we, we have believed that you came from God. Okay, that, that comment there has to do with his being separated from God. He left God and came into the world. That has to do with his mission. His mission was to come into the world. And the disciples believed that he came from the Father and came into the world. Now Jesus is going to talk to them a little further. And they said, we believe that you've come from the Father. And it's interesting, in verse 31, we're going to read the rest of the chapter, and then I'll comment on it. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you. Now notice, these things I've spoken, all everything I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Jesus asks, do you believe? He wants them to believe that he will leave them and will come back to them. He hasn't mentioned dying on the cross to them, probably because they could not hear it. They could not get, get a hold of that. It would not make sense to them. His main point is that for them to believe that if he does leave them, he will come again. Do you believe? You know, you know, we, we don't sit in the disciples' seat. We're, we're not sitting there with them. We're not, they don't have everything we know there. I mean, you got to almost put yourself there to get a feel for where they're at. 
There's a lot of feeling in this as far as I'm concerned. He told them that he came from the Father, that he was going back to the Father, but he never said how. Probably they think he's just going to raise from the dead, raise from the earth and go back into heaven. Maybe, maybe that's what they had in mind. I think Jesus knew his death on the Roman cross would have been such a huge shock to his disciples that they needed a lot of preparation for it. And here in this last verse, he says, there's a time coming, you'll all be scattered. I think it's, that's a prophetic, it's out of prophecy how they would, sheep would be scattered. They're all scattered. They probably didn't catch that. But he wanted them to know, you're going to see something that's going to happen and you're going to just all run away. Okay? And you're going to leave me. You know, and I will be alone. Nevertheless, I'm not alone because the Father's with me. Now, I want you to get a hold of that. Remember, Nathaniel taught in 15 about abiding in Christ. A good message on abiding, you know, learning how to abide in Christ. Who did Jesus abide in? Huh? He abided in the Father, didn't he? That's what he's saying. You guys can all leave me. You can all run away. But leave me alone, but I'm not alone. I'm with the Father. And what he's encouraging them to do is to abide in him. Is that right? He's saying, you learn to abide in me and you'll have peace. Through this whole thing, you'll have peace. Okay? In the world, if you step out of me into the world, you're going to have all kind of chaos going on. It won't make a whole lot of sense to you. You're going to look at it and try to figure it all out in your own head. And it's going to get you all worked up and you're going to want to run away because you're going to be afraid you're going to die and all this because you were one of my disciples. He didn't say all that, but I'm just saying this is the thoughts that would go through my head. They're killing the guy that was my leader. What are they going to do to me? They're going to track me down, put me on a Roman cross, one of the most horrendous ways to die. So, you know, Jesus was trying to get them to stay in him. Stay in him. What, how do you stay in him? You take these words that he spoke and you, you bring them down and say, you know, he told us we're going to be sorrowful, we're going to weep, but to take heart, it's not over. It's not over. They needed words of assurance that it wasn't the end. Now, I don't know if I should say this or not. I'm not saying I'm saying this because I understand it all, okay? I'm just laying this out there. But many of you know that when Jesus was dying on the cross, one of the words that he said was, Eloi, Eloi. Lama Sabachthani. That was him saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay? You know, I know Jesus knew everything. 
Does anybody think Jesus knew the scriptures? Yeah, he knew the scriptures. He knew Isaiah 53 where it said that God was pleased to crush him. But until you've been crushed, you can talk about being crushed a lot, right? Until you've taken on a human body, as Jesus did, some of the emotions, some of the things you feel. Remember, Jesus saw Jerusalem and he wept over Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus and he saw what people were crying over the death of Lazarus and he wept. Jesus had a human body, a mind, you know, but he was fully God, fully man. And I've often thought, and this is why I say this is just my opinion. Here in this chapter 16, Jesus says, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Well, then on the cross, he says, and it's not in John's gospel, so I'm not preaching somebody else's message. It's in, it, you'll find it in, in uh, Matthew's gospel where he says that. He felt, he felt God move away from him. Now, I've often wondered if that's what took place, you've forsaken me. If that took place, what, what would be the purpose of that? Because everything Jesus was doing was to identify with our sin. And, you know, we sang it this morning. He took our sin, you know. But since he hadn't sinned, somehow or another, he still had to experience what it was like for mankind to be separated from God. You know, the Old Testament says, your sins have separated you. So God just withdrew enough so Jesus could experience what we experience in our sin in being separated from God, at least for just a small period of time. Now, I don't know if that's the answer or not. You can take that, go home, and pray about it. But I just, when I read that about him saying, yet I'm not alone, and then I thought about that scripture, why have you forsaken me? There was no reason other than just Jesus you have to be the perfect sacrifice for mankind now friends I kind of know what it's like to be alone and feel aloneness anybody I don't want to don't give me a show of hands here we'll all have to have psychological treatment afterwards but what I'm trying to say is some of you know what it's like to feel totally alone, to feel forsaken, to feel left. I remember one time I was in the military and I had to guard this, I don't know what it was. We really seemed like all the stuff I had to guard was never important anyway, but I, they, left me, they left me out in the middle of nowhere to guard this stuff and uh, everybody left. And I was there for four days no one to talk to except the mice, and no one to, to and you know, I'd never been like, I'd been with people all the time I was in the military, but the, there was four days I was alone, and I didn't know when they were coming back. It, it turned out to be four days, but I didn't know when they were coming back. I thought, well, knowing the military, you know, I'll be out here 
you know, they'll find my, my uh, skeleton out here, you know, many years from now, and they'll wonder, what, what, what's this, you know? You never know what they're going to do. And so I felt totally alone. I remember that, you know, that's crazy. I still remember that feeling of being alone and forgotten. But I want you to know, Jesus knew his disciples would feel totally forsaken and totally alone when he left. And he loved them. The Bible says he loved his own unto the uttermost. This is how John interpreted these things that Jesus shared. He loved us so much. He didn't want us to feel forsaken. And I'm here to tell you today, you might feel forsaken, but if you'll turn your eyes on Jesus, he'll let you know you're not alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for preparing us for the things that we have need of. Thank you for making a way for us where there seems to be no way. Thank you, Lord. I pray today, Lord, if there's folks in this room that need to hear that you are there and you're willing, if they'll just ask in your name, you'll, you'll come to them and you'll sort out everything that's going on in their life right now. They can turn to you. And you will show yourself there for them, Lord. You'll make a way for them when there seems to be no way. God, I just pray you'll touch them today. And Lord, as we um, receive these elements of communion today, Lord, help us to realize how faithful you've been and how you've loved us to the uttermost, Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's people here that may not know how we do communion, but it's just whosoever will may come, and we have it in different places around the room. You're welcome to go up, bring your family, bring friends, whatever, and have communion together, and uh, we invite you to that, okay? Okay.